Welcome to The Money Pot. This is Rachel Morrissey, and I am here with Mehdi Saudi, who is with our Asia team. And we are so excited because we're coming to you live from the Amsterdam show. So when you're listening to this, yes, it was recorded in front of a live studio audience. And we have today with us, we have Pranav Sood, and he is from Airwalk. So first, let's talk about that. What do you do with Airwalks? Absolutely. Well, firstly, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure to, to be part of uh, Money 2020 and, and to be able to contribute to the ecosystem. Airwalex is a fintech and payments platform for global businesses. We help our customers to collect money, to hold money, to convert money and send and spend money around the world. Uh, we serve small businesses, but we also serve some of the biggest platforms uh, in the world. So customers uh, include people like Shein, but also Qantas um, and many, many other very significant uh, businesses. Um, we're about seven, eight years old, so came out of Melbourne in Australia originally. Um, and we've been here in EMEA for about three years. Um, I run our businesses here uh, across the region, primarily um, out of the UK, where we have about 70 people. But we also have offices in, in Amsterdam, in Vilnius, in Lithuania, and as of a few weeks ago, in, in Tel Aviv as well. I was just going to say, I heard about you opening your office in Tel Aviv. Congratulations on that. Um, so I, I want to go ahead and bring Mehdi in because I want to make sure that we, we, we share this. So Mehdi, go ahead. Uh, let's, let's go ahead and start with you. One of my questions for you is you joined the company one year ago. What was the challenges for you in terms of how to implement the partnerships in EMA? And uh, what what was the learnings you get from here? Yeah, so I, I joined OLX, as you mentioned, about a year ago. I'd actually been in fintech for quite a few years before that. I was with a business called GoCardless. Um, I spent about five years there from 2017 through to 2022. Uh, and so fintech as an area is not a new area to me, but Airwallex as a business is obviously one that I'm still getting to getting to know. Uh, we scale our product in lots of different ways. Um, some of our customers are SMEs, so they might be e-com companies who are buying and selling across borders. Others are much, much bigger and, and more sophisticated buyers of, of fintech products and services. And so we have a whole bunch of different ways that we scale. Um, part of it is working with partners, of course. So people like Zero, for example, we collaborate very closely with on the SME side. But we're actually also out there, you know, particularly coming to events like this and, and meeting some of the larger customers um, more on a one-to-one -one basis as well. Um, and it's been a very successful strategy. You know, we've, we've been able to announce some fantastic customers. So in the last few weeks, people like TrueLayer, um, Modify also in the fintech space. Uh, and then even in Israel, we were talking about a minute ago, we're working with people like Papaya Global, Our Crowd, and, and many others as well. Great. That's wonderful. Um, I just wanted to, I know that today we wanted to talk about programmatic money and basically how we can utilize uh, you guys are utilizing that to help SMEs scale for cross borders. And so I wanted to start there a little bit because um, there's programmable money, which is a different thing a little bit. So let's talk about what programmatic money is and how that is thought about by Airwallex. So I'm going to let you define that first. Yeah, let, let's start with the problem space. Yeah. Um, so you're an SME. Let's take an example. I've got a backpack here, actually, which was one of our customers has made it. Um, the company's called July. It sells, you know, they're fantastic, by the way. So big, big <laughs> shout out to them. They sell the kind of backpacks that people who travel too much always have with loads of compartments and, and so on. Now, the reason I'm telling you about these guys is because they're quite um, symbolic in some ways of the challenges that businesses like them are facing. So they will be buying products from all over the world um, in order to make the backpacks that they make. They'll be selling those backpacks online to customers all over the world as well. 
And as a consequence of that, they face a bunch of really quite significant challenges. One is that they are having to transform the money that they're collecting from their customers into the money that they are using their settlement money. The second is that having to then pay out from that money to their suppliers all around the world. And they're trying to do both of those two things in a really cost-effective way. They're also trying to do it in a way that doesn't require tons of humans to be constantly looking at reconciliation and, and costs and so on. And so that's where someone like Airwallex comes in, where we can say to them, hey, look, you know, we can give you access to the global financial infrastructure that you need at a really transparent and competitive price point, And we allow you to use it in a very simple and, as you mentioned, programmatic way. So for us, programmatic means you can do things at scale through simple, either API or even UI, I mean, a web app type UIs that allow you to be able to tackle your needs without having to build the manual processes or the human resources to, to have to fulfill them. Um, and so that's where, that's where Airwallex comes in. You just share with us the macro view, but do you have like any successful use case that you can share with us who make you proud or make Airwallex very proud? I mean, other than July that you already gave the shout out to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we, we work with loads of, um, of e-commerce businesses uh, globally. I think the, you know, th that use case is just quite symptomatic of many others that we operate in. I mean, in the UK, for example, um, one that I really like is a company called Young Goat. They're a streetwear brand. Um, they sell, you know, really cool t-shirts and stuff that I say are really cool. My younger sister would probably think are horrific, but I think they're really trendy. Um, and they have exactly the same problem. You know, they're, they're getting these t-shirts and their clothing manufactured around the world. They're selling online. You know, their, their payment provider had been forcing them to convert into a particular currency. And so every single time they fall into this conversion trap where your money is being transformed into a currency that you settle in, and then you're having to convert it again. And so each time you're paying two to 4% more than you should be uh, for something that we could do for, for a way, way, way more transparent and competitive rate. Okay, but we're going to get deeper into the financial side of this, but I, this is very interesting to me on the e-commerce side alone, because as... As we know, with social media uh, coming in and the whole Web 2.1 thing, right, it kind of created groups or tribes that didn't have the same kind of borders, right? We, we no longer shop at a local store and just you happen to run into it, right? So now uh, they're finding their audience. Like you said, you think they're really cool. Your sister thinks they're horrific. <laughs> and if that, if that, you know, was the only, they were only available to be seen by a, a small group of people, you never know where that would fall. But by being able to find their audience globally, um, they don't have to have a giant audience to be successful. They just have to find the right audience to be successful. And that's really interesting that it could be cross-border now and you don't have to think about it being so limited or think about growth in the same way as like you have to make a group of people all in the same area love you, <laughs> right? You can find your people. Anyway, sorry. I wanted to go further into the the financial side, but I, I just wanted to, uh, that really struck well, me with what I, you're doing. I think that's a really interesting prompt um, because yes, the internet, social media, shopping platforms allow you to be able to sell your product around the world and, and without borders, but they also create a whole bunch of additional challenges that yeah. you need to navigate. So for example, um, you know, you're selling a product to customers in the Eurozone, uh, in the US, in, in Singapore, wherever, those customers want to pay in different currencies. 
Um, they may want to use different payment methods. So in the Eurozone, for example, you know, we're in the Netherlands today, payment methods like Ideal are massive. Now you try going to the US and telling someone to pay via Ideal, they'll laugh at you. And so when you're dealing with those challenges of scale as a, um, as a, as a scaling business, you need a partner who's able to help you to navigate the right currencies, the right payment methods, the right checkout you know, orientation. And then crucially, pair that with settlement into the currencies that you actually need and payouts so that you can do everything in a single place. Um, and for us, that's what we're really proud of, which is we've built the infrastructure. We've gone really deep, got the licenses, integrated with the banks, you know, integrated with the schemes. And so we're able to give our customers that end-to-end stack. That means that they can focus on selling t-shirts and we can focus on doing payments. Right. As I always say, bakers get into bake. They don't get into bank. That's quite right. (laughs) Um, I would like to ask a question because uh, Airwalex was created in uh, Australia and after this move to Hong Kong, go global in Asia. And now you have also the office here. Do you see on that kind of money movement a difference? You you touched it a bit here, but I would like to go on a deep dive. Do you see like a very difference on how people use your platforms in Asia and in, in Europe, for example? And do you see like some trends for money movement in Europe or in Asia that are very different from each other? So I think the, yes, of course, there are differences in the, in the rails and in the payment preferences that you see across uh, borders, but there's a lot of consistency in the actual use cases themselves. Okay. So fundamentally, you know, you need a financial operating system to be able to manage your money in, your treasury, your FX and your money out. And people may choose different rails in and they may choose different rails out, but the core of the the use case is very similar. Um, similarly, on the, we were talking a lot about the SME side of our business. We also have a, a big platform side of our business as well. Um, I mentioned uh, Shein as a good example of a customer like that in e-commerce. They're about as far on the other end of the spectrum of scale as you can get from a mom and pop you know, shop selling t-shirts or candles uh, online. Um, and they, they have similar problems, right? They're, they're trying to optimize for their authorization rate performance. They're trying to make sure that they can have redundancy and, and diversification in their stack, but they don't want to go and build 20 different infrastructure solutions to, to accommodate that. Um, so I think in answer to the first part of your question, yes, of course, uh, there are differences in preferences, but I think in terms of the actual core use cases, there's a lot of re- replicability, which is part of the reason why we've been able to scale so quickly. Um, in terms of then, you know, the trends and, and what are we seeing? I think again, there's quite a lot of consistency in in the in in the trends that we're seeing across both, uh, you know, Asia, uh, the US, and and also here in EMEA as well. Um, the couple of big ones that are coming up, and I'm sure your your other guests have talked about this as well. But number one, people looking for diversification in their financial stack. You know, whether that's from an acquiring perspective, whether it's from you know actually more of a banking perspective, in light of, of what happened with SVB and, and what's been happening across the US with some of the community banks. Number two is that kind of ironic, but um, I think uh, also valid combination of things so people are looking to diversify they're also looking to consolidate and lots of cfos lots of chief product officers have have woken up and and sort of seen that their 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 buyers have gone out and acquired you know 10 different fintech services over the last 10 you know 10 months and now suddenly when they're looking at cost consciousness and margin they don't necessarily see the value in having all of those so people like us who can do everything suddenly come into our own um, and then I think the third thing that we're seeing uh, a lot of is the, you know, the embedded finance side of things. Mm-hmm. And it's 
really two aspects. So one is bundling. You know, increasingly, software businesses are finding it harder and harder to def- defend their margins and to grow their, their user bases. And so being able to bring in financial services on top of software becomes very compelling. Um, you know, a great example of that is Papaya Global. They've done a fantastic job of, of this. They're a, you know, at heart a payment software business, but they've very successfully integrated uh, payments and money movement into their proposition, which makes their, their use case much, much more compelling for the people that they're selling to. Um, the other piece is, of course, in expansion into new services or new service lines. Um, and of course, everybody wants to have the, the maximum wallet share of the customers. It's very difficult to have that because you know there's, there's only so much wallet to go, go around. Um, but from our perspective as an infrastructure provider, we're delighted to be able to power those use cases because we think it's a, it's a great fit and it, and it makes great use of all of the regulatory licensing and, and payments infrastructure that we've gone and built. Very interesting. I was struck by what you just said about the nature of... Um, of this uh, uh, consolidation going on. Uh, when you're looking at this, I mean, obviously Airwalks is in a really good position for this, but you also have a number of partners that you work with. So when you are looking at partners and you're trying to figure out where to go or what to do, what are the kinds of things that you uh, key into? Because uh, as FinTech partnerships grow, you're going to either see mergers and acquisitions in this area, or you're going to see, you know, uh, di- uh, really intense partnerships, and so I'm just curious, like what I, what is it you are are digging into there? Yeah, so we have two different types of partnerships. Um, one is the what I would call financial partnerships. Um, we partner with I don't know 60 plus uh, banks and FIs around the world. Uh, to give us access to the products that they have in different markets, whether it's the virtual I-bands or physical I-bands, whether it's payouts, whether it's whatever. So we have that whole network of financial partners. We also work with a lot of what I would call strategic partners. And those strategic partners could be software platforms. So I mentioned Zero. We also work with people like Shopify or WooCommerce and, and many, many others of that nature. Um, and then we work with you know more like a bigger platform. So whether it might be someone like an Amazon or a Google or whoever, um, to find ways to be able to you know package and distribute our products together to, to the customers that we want to work with. Um, and then sometimes, of course, we also have other software providers that we're working with. So when it comes to, for example, KYC or, or KYB, you know, you have to partner with others to give you access to some of the data that you need in order to do the, the, those checks. Um, so from our side, you know, partnerships is incredibly important. Um, it's very difficult to scale really quickly unless uh, you can partner effectively because you don't really want to be in a situation where you're building everything for yourself from the get go. When we look at partners, um, and let's focus on each of those three categories very quickly mm-hmm. in turn, financial partners, you know, it's, it's access to the underlying products and services, but it's critically also the flexibility. Um, many banks out there will give you access to a particular rail. Not that many of them will give you access via a really high quality API that has, you know, fantastic uptime and also has the flexibility that allows it to be combined with other things into a consolidated whole. Um, strategic partnerships, we're really looking for the, the mutual value proposition and benefit. Um, I think it's it's a truism, but it's, it is true. The most successful partnerships tend to be the ones where both parties are benefiting. And so we're looking for opportunities to solve real problems for our, our partner's customers in a way that generates value for, for the customer, for our partner, and, and obviously for us as well. Zero is a great example. You know, they have lots of customers who are looking to make payments around the world. And so if we can facilitate that, that's solving a big problem for, for everyone. Uh, and we're all able to, to, to benefit as a consequence. Um, and then the, the kind of software side, when we're thinking more about our own services, so things like KYB, KYC, 
you know, again, you're looking for the breadth of coverage, you're looking at the depth of data that people are providing. And uh, crucially, also, it's a very competitive market. So you're looking at the price. Um, and I think the, 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 the benefit, you know, for people like us who are buying at scale is that we're able to bring purchasing power and, and hopefully negotiate great deals with our partners as well. Yeah. Acquire, transact, and engage. That's uh, what we say in DBS as well, for example. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I have a question for the future, but I don't know if we want to detail. Okay, I can go ahead. Um, what, are the f- what is the future for you for pro- programmatic money? Uh, what do you see as a trend and coming in the next couple of months, maybe, or next years? I think a couple of things. One is uh, payments, even as they become more global, are becoming way more local. Um, so you know, increasingly, people are moving away from SWIFT and you know, equivalents as uh, money movement uh, architecture and moving increasingly to local payment rails, both in and out. Um, if you look at our, uh, our our volume of all the transaction that we're, we're doing uh, annually, about 93, 94% of them are local rails. So local money in, local money out. A very decent percentage of those are same day, about 70%. And then about 50% are actually instant. And so for me, that's indicative of the fact that the world is moving much more towards that mm-hmm. local, fast, and in some cases, instant way of um, moving money. Um, increasingly, you're seeing um, people uh, finding ways to harmonize across borders. So Singapore and India, for example, have been doing lots of work uh, to try and make those two um, payment systems um, talk to one another. Um, and I think really the the crux of it is, maybe the last thing I'll say is that we're seeing more and more people looking to buy programmatic money movement in a modular way. And let me just unpack that a little bit because I think it, yeah. it bears explanation. I'd say historically, a lot of payment businesses and infrastructure businesses have tried to sell a whole stack of products at the same time to their to their customers. And so it's like inviting someone for dinner and saying, you can have any dish you want for main course, so long as it's acquiring. Increasingly, people are saying, look, you know, I need this particular problem solved. I need you to find a way to plug in alongside other people. Um, and we're fine with that. You know, our view is we need to solve the problem for the customer that they're experiencing today and prove to them that we're good enough to solve the problems that they're going to have tomorrow. Um, but I think that's probably a slight change in philosophy over the last few years and, and a movement away from locked in um, ecosystems to much more flexible and, and hopefully compatible ways of working. What do you think is are ways that uh, Airwallex's platform has evolved to to kind of accommodate this scale across borders? What are what are solutions that you are finding? I think the first one is we've scaled a lot, so increased coverage. We can do more markets in terms of payouts. We can issue cards in more places. We can do acquiring with more payment methods. We can do more currencies. So all of that packet of of stuff relates to just scaling the infrastructure footprint that we'd already started to build. The second is we're increasingly working on new products and and services. Um, So, for example, you know, we will be launching a yield product to help our customers benefit from the interest rate environment. We will work on credit solutions and things like that as, as well. And then the third thing is expansion into new sorts of use cases. Um, so as I mentioned at the beginning, we're doing more and more embedded finance um, offerings. Um, we're, we're helping our customers to be able to not only do banking as a service, but also global money movement and also payments as well. So and platform product. Um, and, and as a consequence of that, our product is expanding on multiple different vectors at the same time, um, which is extremely exciting to see because the speed that we're doing that is is not something that I've seen before. So it's uh, it's it's great fun to be a part of because as someone who's responsible for um, a meaningful commercial team, I'm, I'm always able to tell my uh, my sellers that you've got new tools to be able to to go and talk to your customers with. Um, 
we have, uh, I think, like 10 minutes left. I would like to ask you a question. What kind of um, advice would you give to some companies who want to use programmatic money and cross-border payments? I think you have to look for a partner who has both breadth but also depth. Um, there are many um, companies in the market who are able to say at a surface level, we can serve all of your needs. But as soon as you start double clicking, you don't see the detail that, that gives you that comfort. So to give you, you know, some concrete examples, in the US, for example, we have actually a panel of five partner banks that we're working with at any given time. And that means that we have a lot of redundancy and, and scalability in our ability to you know, route transactions based on what we think the customer needs. For example, you know, when you're looking at doing uh, creating accounts, virtual and physical, do those accounts come with the ability to do direct debit in and out so that you can either you know, do recurring payouts or actually do recurring pay-ins? And so I think you know, when you're evaluating those solutions, you have to go one step below the headline. Um, and I think that's a mistake that many companies fall into, which is they get seduced by the, oh, we pay out to X countries and then don't go the level deeper that says, well, actually does this do what we really need it to? Interesting, interesting. And for your platforms, how do you iterate the UI UX of the platforms? Do you do panel with uh, customers? Do you use UI UX? Do you do like interviews? Uh, all of the above. Okay. Um, so we are we love working with our customers to design and build um, the solutions that we offer. Um, I have uh, my boss, our CEO and founder, is an extremely product focused uh, founder. Um, so, you know, when we talk, the stuff that he's always most interested and excited to learn about is not, you know, what's going on uh, in a general marketing sense, but tell me what the customers who are using this product are actually saying. And the level of granularity that he loves to go into is not just the level of, you know, what, you know, we're missing this payment method, but rather this reconciliation report that these customers are using for mass API, you know, issuing, what field are they missing? That means that their finance team is having to do one extra step in NetSuite in order to make the thing reconcile. Um, and so that for me is just the kind of ethos that we have as a company and, and that I try and have with my teams as well. I'm going to, uh, we only have a few minutes left and I'm just going to ask a question kind of off the cuff. You don't know, just don't tell me it's fine. <laughs> but yesterday, I'm scared now. No, you, sh <laughs> you shouldn't be, but you mentioned about, uh, working with India and making those cross border payments, those, those systems talk to each other. And then, you know, in India, the UPI is pretty, um, much the standard. <laughs> that is what everybody is using. And it, it, uh, it, was a massive success in t uh, domestically, but it does complicate cross-border. And I'm curious because we had a, I, I actually heard somebody mention this on one of our stages, you know, that this was a massive complication. So I am curious how you guys approach solving that uh, because just because you mentioned it, it's curious to me. Yeah, look, I'll, I'll qualify this by saying I'm not an expert on That's the UPI. Totally fine. <laughs> and uh, my colleagues who, who spend more time in India and in APAC will probably be better placed to, to do it. Um, I think the key is really to make sure that you pick the right financial partners to enable you to access the market. Um, so for a business like us, you know, we're obviously in lots of places around the world. Uh, we're not yet deep specialists on the Indian market. Uh, and so the key is just find people who can help you to navigate that entry uh, and then iterate and learn over time. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm just curious about it because, like I said, this is, I know it's totally off the cuff and I know it's not your specialty, but uh, we were talking about it and it's it's a market that's so uh, growing that it feels like 
a, a golden opportunity. Yeah, I agree. And I was actually, I had um, catching up at breakfast this morning with Ian, who's the CFO over at Tide. Um, Tide are actually a UK-based uh, neobank for businesses who have launched as their first expansion market, India, uh, which is sort of unheard of for UK-based or European-based fintechs. Um, but Ian and, and the team are, are seeing a lot of success and growth in that market because even though the UPI exists and, and there's a lot that helps to harmonize payments, there's actually still a long way to go in terms of the financial stack that those companies need to be able to use. So agree, tons of opportunity. Um, <laughs> from my side, I think the best the best way to navigate that is find partners that you trust and, mm -hmm. and work with them to, to learn. Thanks Perfect. for indulging me on that. <laughs> All good. Um, no, uh, I, I think I'm good for most of my question, but uh, a quick question like I like to ask all entrepreneurs or like managing directors for, for companies. What, what is the difference between Airwallex and the competitors on the market? Why companies are coming to you and not going to some of your competitors and what makes you very unique? Look, I, I think it's always two things. One is product. The other one is people. Um, we have a fantastic product and a product that I think makes, I don't, I don't think I know makes our customers' lives easier and better in lots of ways, some of which we've talked about today. I also think we've got a fantastic team and I'm really proud to lead the group of people that, that we have here in, in, in EMEA, um, but also be part of the global team that we have around the world. And I think ultimately the, you know, the, the way that you do great business is to find fantastic use cases and then look after the, the customers that you're working with um, as you scale with them. And um, I think if you have those two things in place, then the, the world is your oyster. And, and that's very much the approach we're looking to take. Perfect. Thank you very much. I think that is the perfect place for us to wrap up. I want to thank Pranad Sood uh, to, for, for joining us today at the Money Pot booth. And we're so happy that you could be with us here at Money 2020 in Amsterdam. Thank you so much for having me and uh, looking forward to the rest of the conference. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Money Pot from Money 2020. If you like our show, please subscribe to it wherever you listen to your podcasts. And we are so pleased we got to bring you this show live from Amsterdam. We will be doing it again from our show in Las Vegas in October, October 22nd through 25th. Don't fail to be there. It is going to be amazing. Thank you so much to all our listeners and have a great day. <laughs>